0: morning everybody you guys doing all right i was a little bit weak you doing okay hopefully good you're awake all right this morning i was reminded of something um when i lived in georgia we would have these wednesday night suppers at our church and we'd have you know it'd be like the meat and three type thing you know we'd have ham and then the other you know green beans or whatever and a, and a roll it was like your typical you know meal that you get cafeteria style it was, it was good we all ate together before we had our wednesday night prayer service and uh the youth did, went down there and did what youth do and uh so uh it was a lot it was a lot of fun uh but i and sometimes the desserts were like i mean knock it out of the park good okay other times there was some regional desserts that uh failed to, I'm not from Georgia, so it failed to uh, appeal to me. And there was one, it looked like a pineapple cobbler. And I at first I was like, yeah, about to throw down on this thing. And then I took the first bite and I said, well, there's something interesting happening here. That's unfortunate. What is that? It's okay. It tastes good. And then there's this cheese taste at the end of that. And I took another bite and realized They had put cheddar cheese in this cobbler. I know, right? Now, if I was in Georgia right now, it would (laughs) be, we love our cheese on stuff. I mean, they put cheese on apple pie. It's crazy. I don't know why they do that. I mean, I like my apple pie without cheese. I know that sounds weird. you imagine imagine pulling up at McDonald's like, I like two apple pies, hold the cheese. And the guy's like, I wasn't going to put cheese on that, bro. I mean, that's that is one of those situations you did not get what you expected. And this crowd in, in, in the Gospel of Mark that is welcoming Jesus, they don't get what they expected. And if you go back and look, here's what's happening. Verse 6 or verse 7. And they brought, the disciples brought the colt of Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Here's what's happened. All of the gospel of Mark has been pointing to this point where, as Tom so well mentioned, it he did it so well mentioned, that the gospels are getting us to the Passion Week. Passion, it just means suffering. And it's the sufferings of Christ on our behalf. And so the week begins. He comes to Jerusalem knowing that the cross awaits him. And this is at the beginning of the week. And so they got this donkey, which is a borrowed donkey. It's the cult of a mare. Now, when we think cult, immediately we think horse. But the way this word is used in in the Bible times, it talks about any young livestock. It could be uh, attributed to camels. It could be uh, attributed to different, different things. It could be attributed to a horse. But most times when it's talking about a cult here, it's talking about a young donkey. And Matthew 21 tells us that the donkey, not only was it was young, but it also, in Matthew 21 says they brought along its mother, the donkey's mother, to go in front of it because it was obviously very young. Okay? and So Jesus, he gets up on this donkey, and in verse 8 it says this, and many spread their cloaks on the road. Now, that's an odd thing. Now, culturally, what it is is when we, when we have a, an event, especially when the Academy Awards happen, what do they roll out? Red carpet, this is a very similar act here. They didn't have the red carpet, but they took their cloaks off, and they put it down, welcoming in Jesus as a conquering king. And as it's kind of the ticker tape parade of the day, okay? The team won the Super Bowl. The team did this. The conqueror came in. They're they're welcoming Jesus as a king, and they roll out the red carpet, if you will. But the carpet they're rolling out is is what they had on, their cloaks. So they lay it on the ground. And then in verse 8 it says, and others spread leafy branches on the ground, and they had cut them from the fields. Now, this, if you've ever watched a sporting event, March Madness is going on right now, you have always see those people with their, <laughs> I love the, the crowd cams, it's one of the reasons. If you don't like sports, watch it with your, your significant other who does watch it, because you will get to see some weird behavior. People like half blue, half silver. Woo! Okay, we were in Murfreesboro yesterday, and everybody is wearing that, that Raider blue, okay, for their big, sorry if they broke your bracket, okay? They, everybody was getting just is pumped for that. So if you go, you only really see that. What do you see in the stands? You see people painted. You see people acting crazy. You see the foam fingers. Woo! You see the big poster boards. The palm branches was kind of like their, their confetti, their poster board. It was mint to welcome this one who is a conqueror. And they're waving him around, and they're putting him on the ground, and they're welcoming Jesus as the king that he is. Now it goes on. It says and those who went before them, and those who were shouting, they said, "Hosanna!" Which is God save us. And so they recognize, they see Jesus coming as a conquering king that's going to overthrow their oppression. And the, the people that is, are oppressing the, the the people in Jerusalem and the Israelites at this time, God's people, are the Romans. You've ever want to do a search on history? They were mighty militarily. They owned most of the known world, or in, at some point, just they, 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 they ruled. It was a massive empire, and the, the Israelites were waiting for the hope of the Messiah, who was the one who would overthrow their oppressors and set up God's rule and reign on the earth. And so when they see Jesus, they're like, Hosanna. It's like a war cry. They're excited. They're, they're like kids on Christmas Eve. You know what that's like, right? Oh, man, this is so awesome. Tomorrow there will be a glut of presents and paper, and it's going to be the best, okay? And you say, go to sleep at 9 o'clock, and what do they do? Oh, okay, I'm going to go to sleep. Fidget, fidget, leg. I mean, it's excitement. And these people have been under oppression for so many years. And then they, they see this one Jesus, and they're welcome in the red carpet. They're saying, Hosanna, God is saving us. He is sending the Chosen One, the Messiah. And he says this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then verse 10 says, blessed is, the, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. They are ready to go. I bet you some of the people there who are more militant in nature are sharpening swords. This guy is the king, let's cut some folks, Okay. Doesn't work out that way. And here's here's one thing you need to know. Jesus' mode of transportation tells us what we need to know about his mission. Let me say that again. Jesus' mode of transportation tells us all we need to know about his mission. Because what the people were expecting was an armored Ferrari, or a Humvee, with a big old 50 cow on top, tanks, procession of military might and they got instead of the armored ferrari they got a pinto and a borrowed one at that because if you actually look in verse three jesus says there's a guy he's got this donkey over there and i want you to go he tells his disciples to go grant it's not grand theft donkey okay because they ask okay i don't know how many years you get for grand theft donkey don't try that and so we get here, and the Lord, he said in verse 3, it says, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this, going to get that, that colt and its mom, we find out from Matthew 21, um, say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. It's a borrowed donkey. The Savior of the world is being welcomed as the conquering Messiah, which he is, but the people don't understand how he's going to do this rolls up on a little colt donkey to his triumphal, triumphant entry. It's in keeping with Scripture, first off. Zechariah 9.9, 9, this is a fulfillment of Scripture, says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and... And mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. I mean, it's like pulling up to Thunder Beach or a motorcycle rally on a Vespa. Anticlimactic for these people. But it's in keeping with Scripture. Secondly, it's defying messianic expectations. They wanted a war. They wanted salvation now. And he's not bringing it now in the sense of overthrowing the oppressors. Now he is bringing it through his own suffering. The humble son of God who is worthy and will one day come back on a white steed and will like rule and reign and will come as a warrior first came. On a donkey to show that what you think is going to happen is not the way it's gonna be. And if this is in keeping with Jesus' entire ministry, read read the read the gospels. If you ever think you got Jesus pegged, read the gospels. Well, why did he do that? Man, he makes you uncomfortable. He gives in his parables, he gives he gives examples and makes people heroes who are not. Society's best and brightest. He says, Blessed are the poor. And they're thinking, Why? Because, like, we think of poor now as like you still have enough to eat and you have some form of government assistance. Poor then was po. Like, nothing. Like, you might eat, you might die. Blessed are the poor, they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. You imagine in this climate where there are some, even in some of Jesus' disciples were militant in nature and wanted to overthrow Rome with, with military might. It's a good word for us in, this, in these charged political times that we don't need to be thinking that the world can change by force. The only way the world will change in any good way is the gospel and this good news and this king who comes as a humble servant. And he shows up, he rolls up on his donkey. Welcome to the Conqueror! What is he riding? Hosanna! He's got to get something different than that. I will never forget when I was in Graceville, Florida, in Bible College. I got, we have a Honda Element. If you haven't seen it, it's a box on wheels. We like it. Some people don't. We rolled up to this gas station. I get out, and this old, there's a couple old gentlemen sitting there. And this, boy, this guy goes, son... That is the ugliest car I have ever seen. I'm like, I don't know you. What is your problem? And I could, I could you could imagine the murmurs like, hey, the king is, this is, the. what is he driving? It's on purpose, he's coming. This shows us he's defying messianic expectations. He will be the king but he will do it through suffering and full submission to God and not through violence. Well, at least not through violence that he would undertake. It would be done to him. Thirdly, we see that his showing up on this shows a couple of things that Jesus came for service and humiliation. The God-man, God God descended in flesh, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, to serve and to be humiliated on our behalf. Now, I want you to backtrack with me for a second to the events that kind of lead up to this one. So if you got your Bible, just, just, just go one or two pages back over to Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. And this is right in the narrative that Mark writes. We have this very interesting scene that's gonna show up. And I'm gonna summarize it. We're gonna start, it's Mark 10, 42. We're gonna start reading. But let me summarize what's happening. Jesus, for the third time, just said, I'm going to Jerusalem. When I go to Jerusalem, they're going to crucify me. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be raised on the third day. And his disciples are like, What? You're the Messiah. Let's sharpen the swords. What's the deal? They still don't get it. They get, remember, we talked about spiritual eyesight. It's being restored, but they don't have a full grasp on who the Messiah is. And so here's what happens. Right after Jesus, in Mark's narrative, tells that he's going to be, be crucified. and He's going to Jerusalem. You know what happens? James and, James and John get together and like, hey, um, we need to go ask Jesus a question. So they go up to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, um, me and my brother here, We'd like to be on your right and your left hand, which basically means in your new upcoming government that you're going to set up, I want to be number two and my brother and be number three in command. We want to be on your cabinet. We want to be the other people. Like when you're standing up there giving a speech and you're ruling around, we want to be right there going, that's right, Jesus. And we want to have that position where it's like, oh yeah, well Jesus can't, he's not, he's not going to be able to handle that. It's like, James, you're my number two guy. Go take care of that. John, you're number three. You go take care of this. They wanted this position of prominence. And Jesus said, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They didn't understand. They said, yeah, we can. He's talking about the cross and the crucifixion. They don't understand what's happening. And then, well, you know what? Word gets around to the other disciples, and they're cool with it, right? No. What are you, punks? This is the second time the gospel even recorded that they'd send their mom one time to ask Jesus. Losers. Okay? Mommy, go ask Jesus if we can be in power. Okay. <laughs> it's in the Bible, okay? That not, not that tone of voice, but that's in there. <laughs> okay. And we get to this situation, and the disciples are mad, and they start fighting with her. No, I went into the great How dare you? I did this. I'm sure I you could just I could just see this. Like, I've been I've been hanging around, and one time I had to do this and I had to go do this for Jesus, and I should be uh, uh. <sighs> Jesus. In verse 42, Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, all right, boys, sit down. Let's get this straight. It's kind of like those of you working in preschool ministry here. All right, everybody, the fighting ends now. We're going to have a talk. And Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. I bet you there were some people right there going, ooh. You want to be great? You don't pursue greatness. In my kingdom, you pursue service. And then it says, and whoever should be first among you must be a slave of all. Those are words we do not like right there. Then Jesus gives us an insight into his mission, the same insight that him riding up on a donkey would show. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is calling his disciples away from worldly standards of what it means to be rich and powerful and be in a prominent position. And he's showing them by his own example and calling them out to stop living lives that are pursuing their own pleasures, their own glory, and their own position to follow him and take up a cross. And today, we can see as this this juxtaposition of him being welcomed and this huge red carpet welcoming, we could see that against the fact that he came out as a cult, came in riding on a donkey. And we see that going back and looking at this, this incident that happened right before that, we can see that Jesus, his example, is sacrificial servanthood. That's how he came. So if we are his followers, we are Christians, little Christ, if we are his believers, does it not stand to reason that we should follow him in his mission as well? Because he told the disciples to do that. In the kingdom, if you want to be great, you become the slave of all, the servant of all. And so I want to challenge us, because believer, because Jesus was the servant we must give our lives in humble, sacrificial service of others. This is not going to be the most popular of messages. It's not the most popular message for me to preach to myself, and it's definitely not the, proper, it's not the most popular of messages to tell them, because here's what we like. We like the Gentile form of leadership. Look with me again when Jesus says in verse 42, and Jesus called to them, and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So he's, he's showing this, that there is, a, there is a style of leadership, there's a style of of how you handle prominence and position that is incompatible with how you're supposed to serve me, how you're supposed to lead in my kingdom. And here's what it is, how do the Gentiles rule? Well. They like their power, they like their position, and they like to exercise that position over other people. You know what that did? They used that so they would not have to, so their life would be easier. For example, you walk into the house, you've been the breadwinner. You come in, and you're like, all right, everybody, let's see how this is going to happen, because my life's a little bit difficult, and I want to get, since I'm winning you know, winning the bread money and bringing home the bacon, per se, you're going to do what I want you to do, because I am the king of the castle. So, honey, get going on the laundry and the meal. Kids, yard work. Me, the throne of my recliner. Oh, TV. I know that's. I know that sounds hilarious and, and kind of a. But that is exactly what these gentile these gentile governors were doing. They would take their power and position that they came to. Sometimes because they were even good at their job, the power and position of a king or a or a leader at this time, and they would use that position to make everybody subservient to them and to make people work for them because that's what service is is working on someone else's behalf. And so the Gentile way of ruling and leadership was to lord it over. You know who I am? I don't pick up garbage. You know who I am? That's not a task for me. My task is to look royal and regal and to tell you what to do and to exercise my authority. And, and they would have known this very well with dealing with the Romans. Because the Romans could conscript you anytime to do a task for them, no matter who you were unless you're a Roman citizen. They'd so go up to the Gentiles and be like, all right, you right here, you want, I want you to carry this with me down the road. Remember Jesus would talk about this if someone asked you to do a task? He was, this was in the idea you go within the extra mile. You remember that, that whole story in the Gospels? That, that is the idea here, is that there were, there were Gentile leaders of, and people in authority that were using their power, position, and privilege not to serve other people but to make their life easier and to serve themselves. And so they were exploiting and using other people. And even—and this is actually within their prerogative to do so. But they were doing this in a way that was, was, they were exploiting other people. Have you guys ever seen the show Undercover Boss? It's a great example of the opposite of this. Undercover Boss, you know you have the CEO, and a lot of times the CEO is aloof and doesn't understand what's going on. What happens? They go and they wear a ridiculous outfit. You know those people on that show. I mean, like, have you ever seen it? Like, they got the dumbest mustaches ever. Like, it's, you know, I mean, they drew it on with a Sharpie, and they gave them blonde hair, and you're like, who believes that that is actually someone else, okay? And how do you not Google? Anyway, I don't know. It, it works, though, okay? It's still a fun watch. And so you get there, and what happens? The, the person who was directing and calling all the shots, he goes and he works behind the fast food counter for a while. And what happens at the end of every show most of the time? They develop a newfound respect and a new love and a new way to want to serve the people that work underneath them. And so there's the change that happens here. This is what Jesus is saying, that idea of aloof using your power and privilege to be served by other people and to exploit others for your own personal gain and and to, to push and make and promote yourself in your position over and above, using other people to make yourself look great, that is not what my kingdom is about. That is what the world's about. So to be a follower of mine, you must not seek your own position, rely on your privilege, and use your power to exploit others. But what you are to do is because you've been given so much disciples, because I've been with you in all these years of ministry, you are just supposed to sacrificially serve one another and those who would come. The way to follow Jesus is servanthood. Who? Who? What did he do? If anyone had the right to be welcomed by a red carpet in Jerusalem, it was Jesus. He's the son of God. He's the one who Colossians tell us that everything in this world was made through him, by him, and for him. He knew where that donkey was. Didn't even have to go in the city. He knew... According to the Father's divine plan, he said, it's going to be tied up over there. Go borrow from me a donkey. Someone asks you about it, say, it'll be back. That donkey, he was very familiar with every part of that. He's agent through creation. He knows how that donkey operates. He knows how that donkey metabolizes. He knows how that donkey's internal organs work because he was the agent by which all things came into existence. Not only that, he's the one who called out the people, his people Israel, He's the one who who gave life to every person and sustains life of every person in that city on that day. Of course, they needed more than just cloaks and and palm branches. They needed to get the whole city pumped. He was worthy of so much. He, He would be worthy of them taking every treasure that they had and laying them at his feet. He is so worthy. He is so awesome. If anyone deserved to be worshiped, And to be exalted forever, it was Jesus. But what did he do? He came, laying aside, not his person, not his godhood, but he laid aside the riches of heaven to descend and to humiliate himself, to come to breathe air for the first time in a stable filled with animals. And he lived a life as king in which he was despised and rejected by men. And he's headed to a cross. So what did he do? The one who is worthy of all worship and service laid it aside to serve other people, and that's our example. And it causes and calls his people to do the same thing, to not live to be served, to not live to what we can get, to not live to how we can exploit other people, to not live so people will serve us, but so that we may serve others, because that's where true greatness is found, in following Jesus. And I'm going to give you some examples of what that looks like, because we're talking in in a very theoretical sense. I want to give you some examples of people I've gotten, by the grace of God, gotten to meet in my life that have been these ones who did not consider their, their, their intellect, their position, their power to be something that they should use for their own gain which we use to serve other people. The first people I think of are, are William and Heidi Hahn. They're missionaries. They're our missionaries because we support, we support the Southern Baptist Convention and the International Mission Board. They are in Ghana, West Africa right now. William is one of the most talented photographers, videographers, and, uh, and web designers I've ever met in my entire life. He is a phenomenal guy. Um, and also, his wife went to like a bazillion years of school. That's a technical Uh, measurement a bazillion years of school to become a surgeon she's a very good surgeon and she went through they, they they their whole life from from the time they got married they every step they took was strategically taken to get them to ghana west africa to serve jesus to spread the gospel and to do hospital work in ghana do you know how much a surgeon can make? Like a lot. I don't know either. Call one. Ask him. Be rude. I, no, don't do that. Okay. My pastor told me to call you and ask you how much you make. That's not a joke, okay? Your noted joke, okay? She and William could have made tons and tons of cash. And they could have lived in super nice places, but they haven't and they've chosen to go to West Africa and given up all that privilege to serve the king and to serve people who do not know the king in some substandard conditions. When what, Heidi birthed her own child recently. Yeah, that's like, her, there was another doctor in the room but she was like telling him what to do and that's hardcore because there's hospitals here And William, and they're somewhere in the room. And like, I was thinking, thank you, America, America. Okay. I mean, because you're like, I do not want to be that there for that. I mean, that's, that's, especially without a doctor and like, you know, surgical masks. I mean, that's what happened to them. Got some other friends that, and, uh, Deborah and Todd, uh, Deborah, Deborah and Todd. Hoskins, who are in Madagascar, and it's not like the movie, the animated movie. Okay, there's parasites everywhere, and they live in this place. It takes them three days to get there from when they get to the big city. It's about it takes about four thousand dollars for them to travel to this place. They live in this place and they're constantly hungry. They're constantly have they constantly have stomach bugs. These people were college educated, both of them had master's degrees, and what did they do? They gave it up for the glory of God and for the service of people that they might know the gospel. That seems insane and freakish and weird to the world. Also, think about some more people, okay? Because you're thinking, well, that's missionaries. God bless the missionaries. Let me tell you, people who aren't missionaries, okay? Who are just normal folks and who, who believe the gospel and, and heard Jesus' call to service because he served by becoming a humble servant and dying on the cross. And in light of that and worship of that, my friends Adam and Amanda, they had and were able to have um, two really healthy boys biologically. And then they began to see that in Macon, Georgia, and a lot of places in Georgia, that there was a great need for foster parenting and adoption of kids who were otherwise going to be put in the system. And especially it was especially true of minority children. Fortunately, racism is still alive and well. And so Adam and Amanda decided to take in some kids that were and to adopt kids that were of a different race from a mom who was on drugs who has been has had babies all over the state of Georgia and by the grace of God they were actually able within 3 years to get two siblings which never happens a lady accidentally she would go to a different clinic every time she get pregnant she would go to a different clinic or a different um uh adoption agency and she would give the baby there so they would have no way to track her, and then she accidentally came to Macon twice. And that's how they were able to get their first baby, Brianna. The accident happened, and they were able to get uh, his little brother, Charlie. And so these people now have four kids under the age of seven. I don't know how they do it. I love to go to their house. It's like organized chaos. It's so much fun. My, my my little boy, when he would show up, was like, "Yeah, we're gonna wrestle." It's Like that's all we uh, they like let him wrestle. You know, what I mean, that's that's what you do with those kids. That is not convenient. That is not that's not gonna help your retirement, your 401k plan. That's not gonna be. He's an engineer. She stays at home because she's got a, they got like a thousand kids. And then a lot of us would look at that and be like, "Oh man, how much financially are they giving up? How much of their sanity are they giving up? How much of their sleep are they giving up?" We don't talk about that because I don't want you know. I just want you to get that. They are sacrificing themselves to serve orphans. And what, what does the Bible say pure and undefiled religion is? To care for widows and orphans and their afflictions. Service. Going on. I just remember my dad growing up. And if some of you, you didn't have this home life, man, and, and it was bad for you, I just want you to say you could be the first people in your life to break the cycle and, and be a, a servant in your home as opposed to a Lord in your home. I just remember my dad growing up by the grace of God I had a dad who who my dad has a PhD in soil mechanics. I don't know what he does. I mean, I know its roads and stuff. I mean, he did his dissertation on silt. God bless him. I, I got to go to college because of that, okay? But my dad was also a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force. That's a very uh, he all these things and he served our family well. He could have come in he could have bossed us around and, and done that, and there would probably been resentment, but he exercised fatherly oversight to us, and where correction was needed and firm hand was needed, he gave that, but he showed me how to serve and love. I don't, read, I don't end up that, but at least I had an example. You think about it, too. There's so many of us that give up time, talents in this church to serve other people. Tech booth, the worship team, it doesn't just happen. Those people back there that come, they wake up early. It's nice to hit the snooze button on Sunday morning, but there's so many people that, that, go, that come in and make this happen every Sunday, the children's workers, the youth workers. We got the coffee bar. We got so many different things going on. We got people getting the stuff going on for our communion service. We have all these areas of service, and it would be nice to hit snooze and not to come and do this extra thing, but we do it. You know why? Because Jesus was the greatest servant ever, and we want to follow him. Because his service, in his service is true greatness. And he laid aside everything for us, for the glory of God. Do you see that the way of following Jesus is to serve others? Going on, I want you to see this. Jesus goes on, look with me down in verse 43. But it shall not be among you, you're not going to be like the Gentiles. He said, the way of the Gentiles, this way of using your power position, the Lord of pe- over other people, is not the way it should be. Here's how it should be. In verse 43 it says, "It shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. So not only do we not want to worship or not want to serve and be like the Gentiles in the way we handle our business, handle our life, and handle leadership. No, the way we are supposed to be is like Jesus, who is a slave and a servant to all. One who would come and, and serve. He, Jesus would wash people's feet. Jesus would do so many different things for his disciples. Jesus would bear with his disciples and their imperfections. One of the ways, greatest ways you can serve people in church by the way, is just to stinkin' put up with them. I'm not even kidding. And putting up with them does not mean talking about them later behind your back, behind their back. It doesn't. It doesn't. And I, don't, I know that sounds like, well, of course, but sometimes it needs to be said. Because it's real, it's real easy to kind of slip into that mode. But the serving church bears with other people. It seeks it seeks other people. It it doesn't want to write them off. Jesus was like that with his disciples. You look at Jesus' example again and again of service. His greatest example was his self-sacrificing service. How was how was that great great the most greatly seen in the cross? Jesus died on our behalf as a substitute for sin. He never committed. If anyone deserved accolades and not to be punished on the cross, it was Jesus. But he humbled himself. He sacrificed for others, self sacrifice to his own pain and detriment on the cross, so that we might have life through his death and resurrection. And so Jesus is calling us. Not only not to lord it over, but to sacrifice our times, talents, positions, and even really our pride to serve in the meekest and lowest of areas to not to seek to be patted on the back, although it does feel good, and we're all called to encourage one another, but not doing it for the pat on the back, not doing it to be well known, but serving in a way to honor God and to love others out of the example and overflow of what Christ has done for us, and that will involve sacrifice. Service involves sacrifice, sacrifice of time, sacrifice of money, sacrifice of being comfortable, sacrifice of not being in awkward situations, you know what i mean some of the some of the greatest things we fear are just awkward situations really i I me too I include myself like you don't I don't really want to have that conversation because that's gonna be awkward, and that's what service is it's embracing those things, setting aside our own pride, sacrificing those things like Jesus following his example, and continually doing that for other people now i want to get I want to give you an example of this. By God's grace, I was able. I want to bring up another person that was influential in my life. His name is uh, Randy Kuhn, and he was—he he still is. He's the pastor of a church in Panama City. He has been a great friend to me in ministry. I served with him um, as an intern, and he took a—he—he led a 16-year-old who knew nothing be his intern for two years and like follow him around like a puppy dog. Like, okay, what do I do now? Okay, and he didn't get frustrated with me. And when I made mistakes, he corrected me gently, and he showed me something about what it means to be a leader, a servant leader as a pastor. So, you know what he did? He would regularly take out the garbage at our church or at the church that we were at. He would regularly do that. We had a custodian and the custodian was paid to do so, but he would do it. And I'm telling you what, that meant a lot to me to see that. Every time they had a fellowship, you know, Potluck, whatever you want to call it. I know we got different, we got people from all over the country, whatever you want to call it. Potluck, dinner, supper, whatever, okay? Whatever you want to call it. When we would eat at church and people would bring things, you know what he would do? He'd eat last. Sometimes that'll cost you. I took his lead, man. I, I would try I try to do that. I fail. Don't give me, this is not a put Matt on the pedals thing. You know me, you know I got problems, okay? But I want to tell you about this time that, um, we lived in Panama City, and we serving at our first church. And in Panama City, there was a military base there. And so we had some ladies who were Korean who would make some amazing Korean food. We had some other people there who made food, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what it was. But I had learned, and the other pastor I was serving with, uh, uh, Craig Walker, he and him had, had the same philosophy that if we are going to be pastors we need to be servants of all and so we tried we didn't make a big deal about like, i'm waiting to eat till the last time because that's that's like the opposite of what you're supposed to do making a big deal because then you got your reward, because people are like oh how spiritual that person is okay you got your reward no 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 try we just try to hang back and talk to people and let them get through the line it cost us dearly because all of that really good food would be gone and we would have like the mystery food now, my, I would try to send my wife on ahead. She's like, no, I'm waiting for you. And what it, what it actually did, I wanted her to go for a couple reasons. One, I wanted her to have the good food. Secondly, I didn't want to have to eat the bad food that she couldn't stomach. Because you can't, like, because people made that, okay? So you can't be like, you know, oh, I didn't like that. No, it, it's the pastoral team, you want to encourage people, you know? And so Amy would be like, I can't eat this, man. Oh, I'll, that's fine. I'll get mm. Missionary eating, God, I'll get this down if you can keep it down, okay? I mean, it's like, it's what you're praying? And honestly, I didn't realize that we actually had good food at this church for the fellowship. I used to hate when the fellowship happened, like not because of hanging out with people; I love that, but because like, what are we gonna eat? Why is that gray? That's purple. Why is that purple? I don't understand. So on our, when we left the church, okay, we, we had resigned because we were going to seminary. They gave us a fellowship thing, and, and they brought food because that's what they do at churches, okay? You're leaving! Food! Okay? And we had a great time. So they gave us, you know, a big send-off. It was nice. And so for the first time in the in three years I had been in that church, they were like, you're going to the front of the line. And we are like, great, because everybody can see what we're getting now. But then we noticed the front half of the thing, which we had never seen food on the front half of the plates of these tables, was full of delicious food oh, it was like a heavenly light shone oh this is delicious that's what sacrifice something service costs you something but it's so worth it because it is a as a pleasing act of worship to our father and because of what the Father has done in us and by when we were yet sinners, he died for us and he made us new and we were born again and we have a spirit in us. We want to serve other people. And now what becomes difficult at first, because service will be difficult at first, will become sweet by the work of God in your life. And the more you serve, the more you want to serve. Don't believe me? Come on one youth trip with us sometime. Mitch, will be, we're going on our first youth camp coming up, all right? It's going to be fun. But uh, I've taken some people before that have been like, I don't know if I want to do this, or they've driven the bus. And I've only had, like, one person out of all these years, you're not getting a name, definitely wasn't here, that was like, I'm never doing that again. Everybody else was like, that was great. I loved it. Love to serve. And I want you to know that, that, that this is the way greatness. This is the way to life. And then I want to point out one other thing. We've asked the question, like, what does it mean to serve? It means to do, to work on behalf of other people. Why do we do it? Because Jesus was the great servant. He gave us the example. We don't want to be like the Gentiles. We don't want to serve to be noticed. We don't want to serve to make our power and position. We want to be like Jesus who laid aside the, the honor and glory that was due to be a servant to us. And so in following Jesus, we want to follow him because that was his mission. And that is now our mission to continue to seek and to serve. But my question is this, who are we to serve? And the answer is in this passage in the context. Okay? Jesus says in verse 43, just remember it again, but it shall not be among you. Don't be like the Gentiles. It shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slaves of all. What's the immediate context? Who's he talking to? The bunch of disciples who are fighting each other about I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm gonna be number one. No, I want to be number one. No, I did this, I did that. First off, it's in service happens amongst the brothers, sisters, Christ. We are to first serve each other in context. Slave of slave for one another. You know what that means. If we get if 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 we don't get this, we're in danger. Okay? And I'm not this church has great servants, and, and we do have a lot of people who serve. Deacons serve great. We have so many servants but there's always room for more. And if we're going to do what God's called us to do and reach others, we got to serve more people and we got to have more servants. We get to this place, we are to serve one another. That means to bear with one another, to not talk about one another behind each other's back, to when we offer criticism, may it be constructive, and not destructive, when we come and we we bring encouragement and we bear with one another when when our personalities don't match up and they won't because, do you know what joins us together? It's not the same socioeconomic status. It's not the same political party. It's not the same whatever. You know what joins us together? We are all hopeless rebels apart from God, joined together in this hodgepodge crazy group of people from all across the world, from all across these different cultures, from all these different backgrounds, from all these different family situations, called out by God through the grace of Jesus Christ to be together in community, and we're all different. And if you think you're normal, you're somebody else's weird. I swear, you don't believe me? I didn't ask him, but Tom's from Michigan. This is like crossing into another world. And if you went to Michigan, it would be the same way. You said, y'all, they'd be like, sweet tea. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't exist. (laughs) Okay? We're called out to love and to serve one another. His disciples are at each other's throats. I want to be the greatest. No, I want to serve here. No, I want to do this. I want to do this. Stop it. Stop it. You in my kingdom, Jesus says, you must be a slave to all and a servant of all. And before you can offer a criticism or word of correction, ask this question, am I serving enough to make that criticism I offer valid? Just something to think about. Because I heard, a, I heard a great tip from a pastor a long time ago, probably a blog, you know, who, who knows where it was from. He says, if you won't take advice from that person, don't take their criticism to heart. And we do need constructive criticism and we do need correction. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't don't we need to make sure we're doing it all in service and in love. So, thirdly, I just want you to see this. Verse 45, Jesus, again, reiterates, reiterates his mission, and this is why his, his disciples are not supposed to be like the Gentiles, but are supposed to be self-sacrificing, humble servants. Verse 45, Jesus underscores yet again what his mission is, that we his mission that is made evident and pictured by the donkey he rides. Remember, we're taking it back to Palm Sunday. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The first, who are we to serve one another? Who are we to serve? Those who have not yet heard and come to Christ. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Look in other parts of the Gospels, especially in John, Jesus says, I, there, I have other disciples, other sheep, which are not of this fold. I want you to know this. There are some who believe in Christ across every nation, tribe, tongue, people group, in the world, his church is called to be the faithful witness, not to turn hearts necessarily in the sense that that our preaching can do anything but what the Spirit can accomplish. You hear that? It's all salvation is completely hundred percent the work of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit, and God. It's it's a God work. But we get to be hands and feet, help open eyes, like Eric talked about in our during our our our, our revival time. So I want you to get this. Jesus came to give his life not only for these disciples, calling them to service, but their service is supposed to go to the nations so that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will come to Jesus. And so, church, we're not only called to serve one another because if we did that, we'd implode on ourselves. And a church that continually works on the inside without looking to the outside will eventually eat itself because it will recognize all the flaws and the faults because they are many and they're everywhere. Doesn't matter what kind of church you're in, but a church that has this proper idea of inward worship and community and service that results in an outward service and community in our nation and in, in our in, in our county and in our neighborhood. That is the that is a service, a servanthood that will resound to many coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So we are not only to serve one another. But church, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are to serve those outside of these of this fellowship. What does that look like? It looks like embracing the awkwardness of talking to a neighbor who is giving you grief about a property line or won't cut down that blasted tree. Or going to people who are completely unlovely who anger us when they drive, who their life is like a hot dumpster fire and you smell the garbage smell. And to serve them, looking past those faults and looking towards the heart and serving not because they are lovely but because our Jesus served. And in our service and in our preaching, they might, come to know him what is greatness i don't know they debated on sports shows all the time who's the greatest point guard of all time who's the greatest quarterback of all time people get hot and upset about that well it's got to be passing yard. It's got to be this who's the greatest who's the greatest person who, in, in the olympics who's the greatest athlete of all time who's the greatest musician of all time who is this who is that People are constantly talking about what's great, and they're striving for greatness. What's the greatest corporation in America right now? They got the Forbes top owner. Who's the richest person? No, no, no. Jesus said this. Those who are great in the kingdom will become servants of all. Do you want this to be a great church? I do. But that's, you know what that does not look like necessarily? We got the highest attendance, so then I can go and talk to all my preacher buddies and say, Guess what? We got 200 people over here. I can hear my my heart rotting out of my body at that point. You want to be a great church so we can say, well, we got this going on for the kids, we got this going on for the youth, and we got all these different things. What makes a great church? Service. A deep abiding love for Jesus, the greatest servant, that manifests itself in service for one another in service to the world beginning at our front door. And I want us to be great. I want to know greatness. I want to I want to hear the well done from my father. I know you do too. So how do we become great? Service service, serving one another, serving this county, serving this state, serving this world in Jesus' name. Much can be made of Jesus from Trousdale County. Much can be made of Jesus from the Journey Church. Much can be made, but how will it start? It will not start by putting our name in lights. It will start when we put our hands in the dirt. Let's pray. God, we come to you humble reverence, and hearts bowed, and we pray that you would help us be servants, that we would see all that you have done and all that you are, and that we would live a life accordingly, a life of worship and service. God, help it start today. Call us to repentance where it's needed. Call us to service. Open doors open hearts, open eyes. Help us be servants. Help our pride to be crushed by the gospel. God, please, we want to be great in your sight. We want to serve you and we're going to serve others for your name. Lord, we love you. Thank you for these believers. Thank you that you called them out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you that you have called them to follow you, which involves sacrifice. Help us not count that sacrifice as too great, but to see you as too glorious not to sacrifice. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.